spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. We're definitely in mid-season form. It's episode 197 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, fresh back from DC, Washington, DC course for the big dc in dc event in 2018 and guys so much great stuff i mean i'm sure you've seen the videos at our at our website down and nerdypodcast.com and go to our youtube page for the full interviews we've been posting them on social media as well so many great guests that i got to talk to for you guys while we're down there and this show going to be a big part of that of course our spoiler filled review of the Black Lightning premiere is going to be coming up in this week in Geektainment. We'll hear from Chris Williams, who plays Black Lightning, Jefferson Pierce. We'll hear from him about something that was very unique about the show that I thought. So we'll get the review there. Plus, we're also going to take a look at some of the guests from the panels from the Many Shades of Heroism, DC through the African-American lens. So many great guests that I got to talk to from that panel that happened in DC and DC 2018 from the world of entertainment, from comics. So we're going to hear from some amazing guests here a little bit later on in the show. But up next, first, we got to review a couple comics, what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is writer and artist Gabriel Rodriguez, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Grab the long box, the tablet, or the laptop, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading, and we're going to be doing some damage this week. Damage number one from DC Comics has come out. Of course, part of the Dark Knight's Metalverse. Brought to you by Tony S. Daniel, who's doing the storytelling along with Robert Venditti. Danny Miki on the inks. Tommy Mori does the colors, and Tom Napolitano does the letters. Now, of course, if you're reading Dark Knight's Metal, this kind of ties right in. And you see Damage, who is a soldier named Ethan, clearly against his will, becoming Damage, by the way. That is that is not a spoiler. It's just very interesting how this story unravels. And not a whole lot, I can tell you, without spoiling it. So I'll just tell you what I liked and, and maybe didn't like about the book. What I like is, first of all, the action in this book. I've never seen more full-page spreads, I don't think, in a book of just action sequences. I mean, there's there's words and stuff, too, but... I've never seen more full-page spreads used, I don't think, in a book like this. And and it's amazing. It actually turns out really great because you have this larger-than-life monster, for the lack of a better term, damage, and doing exactly that damage. And you almost have to have full-page spreads to really get that across. So, And what I really like is is that you've got the monster in damage, and then you've got what's going on in his head. We find out that as well. So that was really cool to find out that that's one thing about this is that who's in control is one of my favorite parts about this book. And there's a back and forth there that I think is really, really neat. And then you see another soldier that tries to stop damage, and the the play that goes on there, and it's really interesting. You're not sure exactly which direction that that altercation is going to go. I'm really trying not to spoil this book for you. And the fallout from damage, and you, we sort of dive right in. There's no real, you know, there's no real setup. There's no real, nothing drags in this book. I mean, you just jump right in. And that's one of my favorite parts about it. 
and you see the struggle throughout. And, you know, once you have something loose like this in a populated area, what do you think is going to happen? And who do you think they're going to call? If you're a DC Comics fan and you see something like this happen, no matter what universe it's set in, who do you think they're going to call to try and figure this out? Think about that for a second because, yes, that is a part of this book. And you see the person who created Damage in this book as well. And it's very cryptic the way she's talking about Damage and the way she's going about it. And it's very, very... You feel like you're behind the curtain as a reader, which I really love. And it just seems like a very interesting book. I was very engaged, even though there weren't a whole lot of characters to pop up that make you go, oh, yeah, I know who that character is. I mean, there were a few in the book, but not really throughout that. So you really get, I was very attached to the damaged character and the Ethan character. And there's certain limits to this character as well that, that, that they go into in the story, which I thought was really neat. And one other thing that I loved in this book, again, I think I kind of touched on this, but I want to make it 100% clear, is the art by Tony S. Daniel and Danny Meeky teaming up. I mean, you want to talk about a, a tag team that just works in any book. You bring them to a book like this, something that's larger than life, and, and what else could you possibly want? Fantastic work. Everything just felt like it jumped off the page and it was so authentic. And I mean, what else could you possibly ask for in a major action book like this? This is a poll for me. I have got to find out more about this damaged character. And you almost forget that you're in Dark Knight's Metal. It's such an intriguing character and everything that's going on, you, you kind of get lost in it all. So I think that's kind of the point of a story like this. So can't wait to see more damage as the Dark Knight's Metal story goes on. Something very interesting that I saw when I'm looking through the list of books that I want to talk about this week was something from Image Comics called The Further Adventures of Nick Wilson, number one, by Eddie Gordetsky and Mark Andrico doing the writing. Stephen Sardowski does the illustrations, Hi-Fi on the colors, and a larger world studios doing the letters. And it is about a superhero named Nick Wilson, who used to be the world's only superhero. Like, superheroes were finally real, and this guy's it, and he would save the world. And then one day, his powers were just gone. And you kind of think about, okay, what would happen if my favorite hero just lost their powers? And not not for like a day. I mean, that's happened before, right? You know, you have your favorite character lose their powers. What are they going to do? Imagine if that's just your life now. And you've had to live like that for years. And that's where this story kind of explores. So you see how Nick Wilson is living his life post-celebrity, I guess you could say, and in the real world. Like if that were to actually happen in our society, how do you think that would go? If we had a real-life superhero and all of a sudden they lost their powers, how would we treat that person? And this book kind of explores that. So it felt very true to life in today's society of, how we would deal with that, and how that would get covered. Now, sure, there was a little bit of exaggeration in a couple of places, especially in like the news coverage portions of this book. So, And I understand that. It's still a comic, right? You're still telling a story. But it just felt like this is probably what would happen and how the hero himself, Nick Wilson in this case, deals with that. And it's a very... The, the way I, I was reading this book, and again, really not going to try and spoil this for you, 
There's times where you're going, man, he's a loser. And then you're going, oh, man, he's a good dude. Or, oh, man, I wish he could figure it out and get back on his feet. I had a real rise and fall of whether I actually liked this guy or not when I was reading this book. But it was funny because normally that would turn me off a little bit. But I kind of found it in this particular case kind of refreshing because of the way the story is being told by Gorodetsky and Andrico. It just seemed like they created a character here that has a ton of faults, but at the same time, you sort of feel sorry for him. And then at the same time after that, you're looking like, man, well, you know, down if deep down, if you think about it, he really is a good dude. So I did not expect going into this that this book would have so many layers, and it just felt so normal. And like, this is something that was actually happening. And I think maybe that's the best compliment I could possibly give this book is that it felt like I was living out something and not necessarily reading about something again, other than a couple of instances where there's creative license there. And you see him just be a regular dude. And it's kind of, it's weird in a way knowing who he was. And then as the book goes on, we see someone from his past creep up, which I think is going to be very interesting. And then something happens towards the end and you're thinking, oh, this can't be good. And then you think, oh, well, maybe it's not the way I think it is. But then it perfectly sets up into the next issue because if you're invested in the Nick Wilson character at all, you're like, all right, well, now I have to see how this meeting goes and what exactly is going on here. Because, again, we don't really get a whole lot of backstory here. Normally, I again, I would make that as a as a black mark on a book, but for this one, I kind of like that I don't know what the who these who some of these people are and where this is going. Because if you gave me the backstory, then I'd understand who this person is towards the end of the book, and I would know whether or not this is a bad thing or not. Now you're making me want to get issue two. So I decide so I can know exactly what's going to happen and whether or not that this is going to be a tense situation. So that's to me, that's brilliant writing. And then you have the illustrations, which one of the stronger uh, actually felt like a Millar book. You know, like I was picking up a Mark Millar book. A lot of the illustrations of Millar's books are very, very similar to this. And that's kind of how it felt. And I I hope that uh, Sadowski takes that as a compliment because it very much is and hi-fi always solid on the colors larger world studios as well never have any problems with the things that they do so stepping up big once again and and hey i've had a good run of luck lately not gonna lie i mean a couple of the written reviews that i've had on our website downandnerdypodcast.com haven't been as good but another pull for me i i was kind of expecting to like this book and i wasn't expecting it to be as grounded as it was so i thought that was very very cool looking forward to more adventures with nick wilson in the future that's gonna do it for what we're reading up next black lightning is back we'll tackle it from the cw next on the down and nerdy podcast this is echo callum and you're listening to down and nerdy podcast Probably one of the most anticipated premieres of the past year, and certainly this year anyway. It is the Black Lightning series premiere, and we're going to break it down right now. Spoiler-filled from here on out, so if you haven't seen Black Lightning Episode 1 yet on the CW, you're definitely going to want to skip ahead a little bit. But in case you didn't know, Black Lightning follows Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning himself, played by Cress Williams, who is a principal at a high school and. I don't really want to go into all of the backstory here of the character or anything like that, but he hasn't been Black Lightning for nine years when this show picks up. And one thing I will say about the show right off the bat before I really jump into it here is this probably felt more real than any 
of the other CW shows and premieres that I've seen so far. This one just felt so real and authentic to what it was. And that was this street level story about a family and a guy just trying to do everything he can to be a family man in Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning. He just wants to be a family man. He wants to keep his community safe at the same time. And there was one line in the show that really struck me when he said, I've saved more lives as a high school principal than I ever did as Black Lightning. And I thought that really, really resonated hardcore. It's like this guy really just doesn't want to have to be a superhero. He wants to be a hero of another kind and kind of showing you that you can be a hero in another way. And I really respected that about the show, the way that they put that out there. So, but of course, then it doesn't really work out that way, does it? Because you see, you see the 100 gang has kind of been taking over the community and you see the newsreels about all the shootings and everything like that that are happening in the city and the profiling that's going on by the police officers. That's very, very much a part of this first episode. And, and you see that Jefferson kind of starts to break a little bit over all of this stuff. And then once one of his daughters ends up in danger, Jennifer, who's played by China and McLean, then that really snaps him back into that lifestyle. But the other thing I liked about this show was the the play by the sisters, of course, Jennifer Pierce, who's played by China and McLean, and Nafessa Williams, who's plays Anissa Pierce. And Anissa's kind of the hard-nosed older sister. She's got a good head on her shoulders. And then Jennifer is the younger sister, kind of feels trapped by the lifestyle. You know, the dad's the hero principal, and she's the queen of the high school. That's what they call it. It really bugs her. So she's kind of like the rebellious one, and, and that's what kind of gets the trouble started. She decides to go out to that Club 100 where all the 100 gang hangs out, and she starts flirting with this guy, and she doesn't really know what he's into. And then we get introduced to, one I think, one of the most compelling characters in this cast, and that's Lala, who's played by William Catlett. Now, we see him a little bit later on in the show. I'll get to that in a second because I thought that was a really crucial point. But he's not really the boss. He's the underboss, I guess is the best way you could describe it, because we know Tobias Whale is the big boss. So we kind of see him get involved, and he he's wrapped Jennifer into this whole thing. And we see Black Lightning for the first time, not in, in costume, though. We see Jefferson go to save his daughter, and it all goes south. And the police get involved, and he ends up having an altercation with them as well. And things just slowly, slowly, as the episode goes on, start to inch up. But again, I don't want to dive into every little section of this episode, but I want to talk about the confrontation between Jefferson Pierce and Lala when he goes to say, okay, hey, I know one of your boys had a confrontation with my daughter. He came to my school and tried to cause a ruckus. You keep him away from my daughters. And then they have this tense conversation about, and then Lala tries to put Jefferson in his place. And there's a scene with a, with a young boy there as well and the different tactics that they would take to kind of guide the boy. It was very, very interesting. And I think seeing them play off of each other almost is going to be just as interesting as how Black Lightning is going to so- solve the Tobias whale problem. That's kind of how he ended up out of it in the first place. And Tobias thought he cl- killed Black Lightning all those years ago and did not. So it, it, I just think the byplay between Lala and Jefferson Pierce and Black Lightning is going to be very interesting and one of the most interesting parts 
of this show from here on out. Now, then you see the relationship that he has with Inspector Henderson as well, and you know that that's going to come to a head at some point because obviously with the altercation that Black Lightning has to the police at Club 100, that's not going to go over well. So now we also see the wanted poster for Black Lightning in the police station. So how is this going to go over? And is it going to be one of those classic vigilante tropes of he's helping the city, so you kind of look the other way, and maybe Inspector Henderson's going to help out Black Lightning a little bit? Or is this going to be all hands on deck after Black Lightning because of that? So it's just there's already a couple of very interesting plots that are brought forth in this story here. And then you have the relationship between Jefferson and his ex-wife, Lynn, who he's desperately trying to get back together with. And she's such a strong female figure on this show. And she's the reason he kind of quit being Black Lightning in the first place, because that's why his family fell apart. She couldn't watch him do that to himself anymore. But the scene where we know that Jennifer's been, we know the daughters have been taken at this point. And they call the cops and it doesn't seem like anything's going to get done. And then Lynn kind of looks at Jefferson with that look of do what you got to do. Go save our girls. And at that point, you know, it's on. And when he finally puts on that black lightning suit for the first time in the show and he's headed to that hotel and it all starts going down, it just felt so epic almost cinematic that this guy's not just going to this isn't just the start of him saving his city he is saving his daughters and the determination in his eyes and what he knows he's going to accomplish when he does this oh just the presence that he has in that moment alone was worth the price of admission for this episode i mean i cannot stress enough how much cress williams did such an amazing job in this episode. I would watch the show just for him, but there are so many other great characters in this show that you cannot you cannot discount them at all either because, I mean, we have Anissa that does a perfect job. When we see what happens to her later on in the show, her powers start to kind of come out, and we need to find out how that's going to get dealt with. And Jennifer, even though she's kind of like the, the rebellious teenager type, I guess in a, in a way you almost kind of see where she's coming from. I, I guess that's the best way that I could think to describe it. Although, you, you know, you don't agree with her, obviously. But at least you understand, okay, well, she's fed up with being looked at as the principal's daughter all the time. I could see where that would be difficult. Everybody in this show, for the most part, just feels like such a strong character. And Tobias Whale, you see that he means business. Like one of the ways he punishes underlings, you know, you throw somebody in tank, Full of piranhas in, you mean business. I mean, I don't think there's any way that you can go around that. The supporting cast around the main cast, I just think is so good. And and again, this felt just so real to me. I don't know how else I could describe it. It's, it just felt authentic and real and something that's so, so different from what the CW is doing with their superhero properties or even DC is doing. With their TV properties, this just felt so grounded and, and, and down-to-earth and real, and the characters were so relatable, and you're rooting for Jefferson Pierce so hard just because of the man he is and the man he portrays on the screen is just absolutely 100% spot-on and fantastic. And you could, I mean, and, and, and there's a role model figure right there, not just as Black Lightning, but as Jefferson Pierce as well, and how he balances, how he's going to balance this life. I think it's going to be really inspiring once we get through these next few episodes and the series starts to tick on a little bit. 
I just feel like that this is a symbolic character on television that was really needed right now, and especially in the CW TV shows. And there's a lot of strong characters in there as well, but this one just feels different, and I'm glad it feels different because it shows that you can take a different side to things. It shows that you can represent all different types of characters in a very unique and strong way, and bravo to DC and Warner Brothers and the CW for bringing a show like Black Lightning. And, I mean, even the soundtrack, one of my favorite parts about the show was the soundtrack, too. It just really set the tone and set the mood. As a matter of fact, when I was at DC and DC 2018 this past weekend, I asked Cress Williams about the soundtrack. Here's what he told me. What does the uh, soundtrack do to kind of set the tone for the show? Because I find that that's really important in a lot of shows, especially setting the authenticity. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, in, in different moments, um, I mean, we open with a Nina Simone song that just really sets the tone, uh, uh, kind of the as it begins a little bit of a hopelessness tone of the city. Um, but then later, uh, we have some wonderful original music that that gives you that urban feel that like that just gets you pumped. Um, so it, it, it uh, I guess it just kind of guides you through. Um, and honestly, I, I want to get the soundtrack myself to put it in the car. And just, uh, no, it's really such a great, great mix of music. And um, the original, we have actually some like, a, like an original theme song for Black Lightning, an original song about Freeland, uh, and, uh, and, and original music all down the line that I'm really excited about. And I'm sure that's going to be a theme going forward in Black Lightning this season. I mean, I'm not going to give it a rating because... You know, I can't really rate something off of one episode, but I will say that I am. it's going to be appointment viewing for me for Black Lightning. I'm going to make sure I'm sitting my butt on the couch every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern to catch Black Lightning because if this show continues to be on the path that it's on now, this might be a sleeper hit for the CW and might end up being one of their top shows, if not one of their top superhero properties as well. I know The Flash was on before that, and The Flash is doing so strong. I'm not sure any show is going to be able to overtake Flash as the best in the CW universe for DC. But Black Lightning off to probably the best start of any DC TV series, and that includes stuff that's not on the CW as well. Probably, Probably off to the best start of any DC TV series that they have so far. So really looking forward to more. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Black Lightning. Up next, yeah, we've got some nerd news, including more stuff from DC and DC 2018, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Heading back to DC in DC for a couple of big news items this week. It's time for nerd news. Before I jump into that, though, ratings are in for Black Lightning, strongest CW premiere in two years. So congratulations to everyone involved in Black Lightning. Very, very well-deserved. And I love the fact that it wasn't... I didn't say this in my review. I totally forgot about it. But I love the fact that we didn't have to get an origin story. We jump right in. and It was just a fantastic show, show. So congratulations to them. Now let's jump into DC and DC 2018. Had a great time there talking to so many great people. And one of my favorites, you know, if you've listened to the show at all, is Tom King. And Tom, during the Aftermath panel talking about post-traumatic stress and trauma in comics dropped a very big, I think, piece of news in the panel talking about a new book from DC Comics Company coming up called Sanctuary, or at least that's some sort of a working title. We don't know if that's exactly the title or not. 
which is going to be dealing with superheroes and their trauma after they have their heroic acts and how they deal with the aftermath of what happens, whether it be with the villains or or civilians. Well, let's hear Tom talk about it inside the press room at DC and DC 2018. This is what Tom had to say. I wanted to write something about PTSD and sort of let that and and and, uh, and, and its effect on things, and and I mean this was such an easy, instant easy idea, uh, the idea that people who are living a life of trauma would be affected by that trauma, like that's not freaking rocket science, <laughs> and the fact that people whose job it is, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, their job, their sworn duty is to help people, would help people who've gone through trauma and build a center like this, build a crisis center uh, uh, for 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 these people. People. I mean, it's, it's it's one of the most logical things that, that's existed. So of course this would exist in DCU. Of course Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman would get together to help superheroes who have been through this and to help themselves get through it. Um, so, it, I mean, the, the, this wasn't creative. This was just understanding. I don't, I don't know. So you hear that, and my first thought was when he announced this, and there was an audible gasp, especially with my fellow members of the press, when... He announced this, and it was one of those things where in my head I'm going, how has nobody done this yet, first of all? And second of all, I'm thinking, who better to do this than Tom King? Somebody who would understand, someone who's who's been there, who understands that mindset and understands as somebody who's been a former CIA agent and who's seen some things that you can't unsee and talked about his own post-traumatic stress in the panel, who better to capture this in an authentic manner than a guy like Tom King? There was no other creative teams mentioned or possibilities mentioned for this book. But I mean, think about it. A building falls over, you know, for for Superman. And how does how does he deal with that? Who does he talk to? I mean, he's got Lois Lane. And then what about some of these younger heroes, like somebody like Jessica Cruz, who if anybody knows about post-traumatic stress, if you know anything about Jessica Cruz, the Jessica Cruz character in Green Lanterns and even before that, I mean, there's post-traumatic stress right there. She couldn't even leave her apartment for so long. So how does she deal with that? There are certain characters, almost any character that you could talk about that would have to deal with something like that. So put that in a book, shed some light on it because A, it's a good story and B, raising awareness for post-traumatic stress. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And it, and pay, and that's kind of one of the things that Tom King does. I mean, there's a lot of that get, that gets addressed in Mr. Miracle if you're reading that. But it's something Tom does really, really well. And it's bring certain issues to the light in a story. So you're learning about it with almost without even realizing that you're learning about it at all. So I can't wait to find out more details about Sanctuary. I'm sure Tom got in trouble for announcing it a little bit early. Doesn't matter. We're glad he did. And looking forward to finding out more details from him when he can tell us and when DC can release those. Also, another little interesting tidbit that came from my press table at DC and DC 2018 was from Julie and Shauna Benson when we were talking to them, specifically Julie Benson. And a colleague from BlurredCon asked about a silver age, silver age heroes, and are there any that are that aren't kind of given their due? And Julie Benson gave this answer. I will get in a lot of trouble from DC if I say because we may be writing that character. So immediately my mind is wandering when she says that, and I'm thinking, okay, which silver age characters 
could she be talking about? So let's run down a few, shall we? The first one that popped into my mind was Hot Girl. Giving Hot Girl her own book, even in a limited series. I mean, we've seen characters like Raven get their own limited series, and that's worked out. Of course, you had Marv Wolfman in there, the co-creator, so it's hard to go wrong there. But, I mean, think about it. Hot Girl hasn't had her own book. And, I mean, if you've been reading Metal, you know that Hawkman's been a big part of Metal. And we've had a couple of Hawkman stories recently as well. And I believe that Hawk Girl was part of one of them, but we've never... I can't remember the last time we gave Hawkgirl her own book, and it's certainly a character that's interesting enough, and I would certainly think that people would be interested in, so why not give Hawkgirl her own book and Julie and Shauna Benson involved? You could even give it a, even a little bit more of a lighter tone, not to mention the fact that, hey, they are part of the 100 writers' room, so it's not like they haven't written characters that might have a little bit of similarities to this before. And I think that could be a really cool book. The other character that I thought of, and there's a couple more after this, is Zatanna. I have been waiting for a Zatanna book for a while now. I mean, I know we've had Mystic U and she was a part of that, but I mean, giving Zatanna her own story, and it would give Julie and Shauna Benson a, a chance to maybe lighten up the character a little bit, but at the same time, tell a really dark and interesting story that you could do with Zatanna. I mean, Dead Man's got his own book. We've gotten a book for Ragman, why not Zatanna? It just seems like this is the right thing to do and not just keep having her show up in like a Justice League Dark or a Constantine books. Give Zatanna her own book and a chance to really tell her own story. I, I would read the hell out of that. And then there's another one that popped into my head that seemed a little bit more that seemed a little bit more obvious to me, and that's Mara. Because you've got the Aquaman movie coming out. Julie Benson seemed to imply anyway that this is something that's going to be coming out sooner rather than later, or will at least be announced sooner rather than later. So something coming this year, probably. So it almost makes sense that the timing would be right. You you release a book from Mara right before the Aquaman movie comes out or right around then. And, and it just seems like a smart move for DC and everybody involved. And I think, by the way, they could do a great job writing that character. But let's... Let's step away from female characters for a minute because I shouldn't just assume, right, that Julie and Shauna Benson are just going to be writing a female character. They've done a great job when we've seen male characters join Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. They've done a great job writing them. So as I watch The Flash and I see more and more of Ralph Dibney, I think that Julie and Shauna Benson could write a damn fine elongated man book. I mean, think about the wisecracking... I mean, just the vibe of Backer on the Birds of Prey. You give the elongated man a creative team like Julie and Shauna Benson and let them do with that character what they've done with Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. I think that might be the most in, the most fun I've ever had reading that character. It just seems like they could really capture the essence of that character. And Julie and Shauna, if you're listening... Please be doing one of these. I know that I gave you four options, and I know you're not going to tell us which one it is, but at the same time, it just feels like this is the right move. One of these four characters really hope that that's it. Now, moving away from DC in DC, a couple of other big stories that hit this week. Everything's about comics this week. I love that. Marvel has actually hired... A new publisher, of course, the story broke from comicbook.com, and it is John Knee. Now, before I go any further, I know if you've listened to the show in the past, we said on the show a long time ago, we weren't going to start, we weren't going to be covering Marvel Comics anymore until they got their house 
in order. That stops today. I mean, we've had a post or two on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down and nerdy. This stops today. This is something that we have to talk about. And it is a clear step in them doing something a little bit different. So let's just start off with this right now and say that from this point forward, yes, we will be talking about Marvel Comics on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Now, we know that Dan Buckley was promoted to president of Marvel Entertainment not too long ago. So, of course, you have to hire a publisher, and now seemed like the right time, as he told uh, comicbook.com. So, if you don't know a whole lot about John Nee, I mean, he kind of oversaw uh, the, the Wildstorm. He was the president of Wildstorm for a while, and then he kind of moved up the ranks in D.C. before leaving and then he was CEO of Cryptozoic Entertainment, so he actually moved into like tabletop games and collectibles and card games. Actually, they were part of the World of Warcraft uh, card game that came out. So, I mean, it's not like John Nee hasn't done some great things. And one of the reasons it seems like they hired him in the first place was because he had this varied background. So he has a chance to see things from so many different perspectives and... To me, it seems like a good hire. It seems like Marvel saying, okay, we want somebody to cast a wide lens here, and we want somebody that is actually going to look at everything that we're doing, because one of the things he's going to be responsible for is overseeing the health of the publishing line and ensuring quality. And, hey, I've I've been very, very vocal about the quality, I feel, of Marvel Comics over the last... I'll say year and a half just to be generous. I could go as much as two years as that. Most of them, I just don't think have been very good. I know that a lot of you disagree with me on that, but that's just my opinion. I don't think that they've been very good. And now with DC being being so successful with Rebirth, and I know Marvel was the top publisher last year of 2017. They had the top-selling book. I get it. Sales mean nothing to me. I know that that's a crazy thing to say, but quality is quality. I know sales should mean something to publishers and to you know the people that are making money off these books. But as someone who's a fan and who just wants to have good books, sales don't matter as much to me as reading a good story and seeing great art. And I think that that's one thing that Marvel has lacked. I mean, you're going to be the top-selling publisher if you're constantly rebooting things, okay? So you need a little bit of consistency, and I'm really hoping that John Nee can provide that for Marvel Comics. And it'll be very interesting to see what his first act is as publisher and the first thing that he actually changes because there definitely should be some changes in Marvel Comics. It's said to Boom Studios now, and I think that this one could be a sleeper hit. RoboCop, Citizen's Arrest. Yes, a RoboCop book coming back. It's going to be happening in April from Brian Wood and Jorge Coelho. And it's going to be set 30 years after the RoboCop movie, where corporations have taken over public service, and it's really going to explore social justice because citizens are actually encouraged to, like, you know, spy on people and, you know, rat people out and all this other stuff. So I really think that the stuff that's Brian, that Brian Wood has been writing, we've got Rebels, of course, from Dark Horse, and then you've got Briggsland, who has been, which has been absolutely amazing. And that book right there, Briggsland, is one of the reasons why I think that Brian Wood is going to do a fantastic job with this RoboCop book and exploring this particular subject matter. Because you really get into that in Briggsland if you haven't read it yet, and of course I've reviewed it a couple times on the show, they really kind of dive into that because it's the like a, a free and independent you know, a free and independent society. They live off the grid kind of thing. 
and they do their own thing. It's They have their own compound and whatnot. I don't want to get into Briggsland too deep here, but they kind of deal with that subject matter. So it seems like a no-brainer to me. And I think that, if correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't someone else have the publishing rights to Robocop before? I don't know if it was Dynamite or who it was more recently. But it'll be nice to get a fresh take on RoboCop and setting this so far in the future and with RoboCop being kind of the only law of the land, I think that this is a book that could be a real sleeper hit because you've gone out and gotten a great creative team, first of all. And second of all, you're kind of bringing it into a more modern story, which is I I think that's something that the RoboCop reboot movie kind of failed to do. So I'm seeing, I'm hoping that we're going to see that in this RoboCop comic because, let's face it, you tend to have better comics than movies sometimes, or at least you're able to flesh out a story a little bit more. And RoboCop is a character that I think could be very relevant in 2018 and what you could actually do with that character. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Boom Studios has in store this April for RoboCop with Citizen's Arrest. And and being a fan of Brian Woods, I think he's going to be a fantastic job. Can't wait to see what he's going to do with that. It's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, yep, we're going to head back to DC and DC 2018 one more time. Talk a little bit more of Black Lightning and the many shades of DC heroism. We'll talk about that panel and have some guests up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Recently, DC Comics and Warner Brothers had a really great event called DC in DC 2018 with so many great panels and some eye-opening things as well. As a matter of fact, one of the panels was the many shades of heroism, DC heroes through the African-American lens with so many great actors and creators and writers involved and got to talk about representation in comics, especially the African-American representations. Matter of fact, let's kick it off and talk to some of the special guests that we got to talk to at DC in DC, starting off with Black Lightning himself, Chris Williams, who you heard from earlier. And he's talking about not seeing himself represented when he was younger and where that might be going in the future. I grew, I grew up like every Saturday morning getting up at the crack of dawn to watch the Super Friends, you know, and uh, and uh, and even as an adult, you know, enjoying enjoying uh, Justice League and, and and Young Justice, and I remember back the old the old X Men series. Like I've I've been a huge fan of all that stuff, and but not seeing um, myself represented. And even as an actor, when I was like, I want to be a superhero, I had to start going through and going, okay, there's a list. There's a short list. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, Luke Cage went away. Oh, man. <laughs> you know? And then it was like, oh, Black Panther went away. Oh, there's nothing left. You know, I kept hoping they would do uh, John Stewart, and that never came, hasn't come about yet. You know, so, um, so this, and and you know, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of Black Lightning growing up, and so that was like, it was a pleasant surprise to see like what this is happening. And then, I, I, once I saw the character and real, I fell in love. I'm like, wait, I like this character better than all of them. This is my favorite. Um, but I do. I hope that it sparks uh, an appetite for everyone to see um, more diversity and and you know I, I've said it before that I hope that um, I'm want our show to go a long time and be very very successful but I hope it sparks you know um, someone wanting to tell the story of an Asian superhero someone wanting to tell the story of a Hispanic superhero I want you know uh, little kids out there to, to all have someone that they can identify with and all have someone to they, they see themselves I mean the 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 confidence and the self-esteem that is built when you can see yourself 
And when you have that choice for Halloween, when you have that, yes. you know, <laughs> when you're a kid, you know, I'm sure you all played pretend and you're out, in a, you know, and you're like, I, I want to be Superman. No, I want to be Batman. I want to, but to be able to say, I want to be Black Lightning, or you know, to, to be able to say, you know, or any other superhero, I want to be uh, 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 the, the the Beetle. You know, I mean, I mean, that it's just it just does so much for uh, a human spirit. So I hope that this is just the beginning. Next up it was Chris Chalk who plays Gotham's Lucius Fox and he talks about how much fun it is playing Lucius and what he represents. I like how chill he is. I like his awareness of everything. It's kind of a, a different version of heroism than we are, we, especially now, because it's all fight and it's all, you know, and it's nice to see this brown-skinned dude who's the smartest person in the room who will not punch you no matter what. So I'm super into him right now. While I had the opportunity, you know I had to ask Chris Chalk about what happened last season with him and Corey Michael Smith between Lucius and the Riddler. Let's hear what he had to say about that. Well, here's something we've already seen. When yes. I talked to Corey Michael Smith, he talked Love about it. how much fun it was working with you on that episode with Lucius and Riddler. So let's get your perspective. What was that like for you to do maybe a little bit more than you've done in the show? Before? It's, you know, one, it's fun because it's more, you get to learn more of who Lucius is and his admiration for intellect. Um, Corey's so good. And Corey is, I think Corey and Robin, are, I think everybody's doing good work, but I really love what Corey and Robin are doing and the toll it takes on their like physical being. Corey, it's not so evident, but it's there. Um, and so working with that commitment, one commitment to the craft, because he's such a theater person, he's such a little theater nerd, and he's bringing it to Gotham. Um, working with that kind of talent is fun, um, especially on our show, where like the good guys are pretty snoozy, because they're supposed to be. Good guys are boring, and the bad guys are so much fun. So getting to sit in a car for way too long in the cold uh, under the Brooklyn Bridge was actually so much fun because he's bringing so much to it, I'm bringing so much to it, we're changing it, we're dodging, we're dancing with each other, and yeah, that's it. It was so fun. That's real general, but it was. Next up, it was such an honor to get to talk to our Oscar-winning screenwriter, John Ridley, about stuff that he's going to be doing with DC Comics. As a matter of fact, before that, though, he talked about how entertainment is also starting to really tackle some serious issues. Let's hear what he said about that. There's a convergence that's going on between art and culture, and I don't think it's anything that's new, but I think there was a time where uh, people kind of wanted to separate that a little bit and say, look, people, um, they want to come home at the end of the day and just be entertained and let's not put any politics in it. Now, there's truth to that. I think all of us at the end of the day, sometimes we want to come in and shut off. But I think it's really something particularly for programming that largely, not exclusively, but is targeted towards young people and say, look, um, you can have all the powers in the world, metaphorically in some instances, or in reality, and we're all reminded that you know power alone isn't enough to protect individuals from discrimination, from harassment, from marginalization. So uh, to use these kinds of shows or this kind of entertainment uh, as a conduit for delivering messages, I think is absolutely phenomenal. John Ridley is actually going to be working on a project that I'm very, very excited about with DC Comics, and I couldn't wait to ask him about it. James with the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You're doing the other history of the DC Universe, which looks like a really exciting project me. for you now. <laughs> 
now, are there certain characters or certain stories that you're really looking forward to diving into in this? You know, I we've I've been working on this for a while, and the the challenge is there are so many characters um, from all different backgrounds that have these moments where you think, oh, I'd love to expand on this, or how did they feel at this moment, or um, a story where they seem to be in some ways a side character, but it wouldn't be inter- wouldn't it be interesting as as with history uh, to take that lens and shift it a little bit. So the hard thing is going to be working within reasonable limitations. You, know, you can't tell every story, but the desire is to tell as many stories or represent as many points of view as humanly possible. So I don't know yet. Obviously, some of the characters that I'm really really interested in have been announced in the press release. Um, there may be more. There may be some that are um, the the central protagonist, but even that that you know who who is with them? What are they facing? What do they miss? Um, you know, because all of us, you know, we, we, we want to believe that history is shared, but the reality is sometimes, you know, it is our history. Um, so the other history shouldn't just be about the prevailing culture, but within these cultures, what are we missing? Um, what are we forgetting to celebrate? Um, how can we learn to shift our lens? So the long answer is, is I, I don't know yet, but um, expect characters that you would not expect. Also got a chance to talk to artist Dennis Cowan and writer Alice Randall, who are going to be working on Earth M for DC Comics. And they were asked about maybe is the success of Black Lightning and everything that's going on for African-American heroes right now, is that bringing about kind of a renaissance? Let's hear what he had to say. We would hope, right? I mean, we're all... I'm very excited to see Black Lightning on the TV screen. I'm like as hyped as anyone could possibly be. I'm as hyped about that as I am about the Black Panther. Don't mind talking about that. Everything's black. We're keeping it real. All those things, right, are just like, are exciting. Um, it remains to be seen whether it's going to be a renaissance of anything or not. The only renaissance you'll get for anything like that is if it makes money. If Black Lightning does well, and we hope it does because it's an awesome show, hopefully the demand to see more of that kind of stuff will happen, and that will get me excited. Um, Black uh, Black Panther does well, which is should. Hopefully people will say, what else else is out there that we haven't seen yet? Um, Where's Icon? Where's Rocket? Right? Where's Static Shock? That's what you're going to, that's the man you're going to hear that. Um, so we want these shows to do well, but we, we, there is no renaissance yet. It's two shows, you know. Meanwhile, how many white superhero shows do you have? I guess that's the real renaissance, right? We really want to talk about it. Um, so we'll see. Speaking of Earth M, looks like it's going to be really exciting. So I wanted to ask them what motivated them to want to work on this and wait until you hear some of the characters that are going to be involved. What made Earth M such an appealing project for you all to work on? It was a, it was a revival of our Dakota Universe properties. Um, Earth M is what we're calling it now, but it's basically static. Icon of Rocket, Hardware, Flood Syndicate, it's, you know, it's, it's Dakota Universe. New branding, new creators, um, and new stories, some of the same characters, and new characters. Also, That's what makes it exciting. Sorry. It's a place that multicultural aesthetics matter. That they, this is what they established originally. 
with Milestone. And this is what is being revived and reborn right now. And I think that it's a necessary moment. I want to thank all the guests that joined me and my fellow press colleagues at DC and DC 2018. And one thing that I really took away from this, not just the, in the press room, but in the panel as well, was the passion involved from so many talented African-American creators, whether it be writers or actors, artists, producers, what have you. The passion involved in these projects, I think, just comes across so, so well. And this is something that they've been wanting, never mind us, that they've been wanting as creators for such a long time, just waiting so long to work on these passion projects of theirs. And finally getting an opportunity to do that not only has to be a huge weight lifted off, but but a huge moment as well. And I think that it's it is about time, isn't it, that we get these different stories. As a matter of fact, the secret uh, history of the DC universe is one that I'm really, really looking forward to from John Ridley. I can't wait to see what perspective he takes, what characters we get to see, because, you know, it is about time that we see some different characters and find out exactly, like he said, looking at things from a different perspective. So I think that's going to be very, very interesting. And again, you know, far be it for me, being a white man, to be able to talk about African-American representation in comics or in entertainment. All I can say is this, is that it is about time that we get to see some of these characters get their due. And somebody mentioned Jon Stewart. I can't wait to see Jon Stewart either in a TV show, a movie. Jon Stewart's definitely a character that we need to see more of. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, just putting it plain and simple, these are good characters that deserve their moment and are finally getting it. And that's the bottom line. And this has been good entertainment so far. Black Lightning being very, very good. I expect these other projects to be good as well, not just because of who's working on them or the passion involved, but because these are characters that have deserved some spotlight for a long, long time. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You heard some questions from some other folks. I wanted to thank my fellow members of the media, Katie from Den of Geek, Kevin from Screen Rant, Montel from Blurred Con, and so much more for some great, great questions that were asked at the table. I had so much fun with them. And if I, if I forgot to mention anybody, I'll try to mention them on the website, downandnerdypodcast.com, where you can always find out more about every show that we have from the beginning to this latest episode. You can also follow us on social media, facebook.com slash down and nerdy at down and nerdy seven five seven on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Definitely not done with stuff from DC and DC 2018. I'll have more of that for you next week and the weeks to come. But Hey, don't forget you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.